Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale May 25th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm, you know, I thought about this. Mm. I think I'm going to be like, you know how like Mario has Wario? Yes. I think I'm going to be your Wario. I think I'm going to be Agent W. I'm Jasmine, a.k.a. Agent W. Yes. But you have to talk like Wario, though. You have to only speak like... Just, ha-ha! <laughs> I could do it. He doesn't talk. He just laughs every other sentence. Ha-ha! Ha-ha! <sighs> Feel good. This is good energy to bring into this episode. Jazz, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Great, great. Excited. Can't believe it's already the end of May. Uh, mm-hmm. We're moving into Pride Month next Heck week. yeah which is exciting, lots of fun stuff happening. I know my local, uh, I mentioned this on Twim, but my local, uh, our favorite place to go to eat, place that Catherine loves to go to, um, called Bronx Burger House, is having a family-friendly pride parade and pride event. And Ooh. Yonkers um, has a family-friendly one too. Yeah, I have to check mm-hmm. that out. That's great. Downtown. Nice. All right, we're not just talking about pride but we will be talking about Pride, I'm sure. Oh, yes, Plenty more in the next month. Uh, but we are here because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we run you through every single brand new Marvel comic out every week. We give you our favorite picks. These are personal picks. These are just us saying, you know what? Buy these books. But then also we give out awards to the other books because we also love bits and pieces or entire sections and whole issues and um it's a lot of personal love and excitement we're going to give out those awards we're going to talk about what's hitting marvel unlimited both the infinity comics which are the vertical scrolling comics that we release every week and the brand new issues hitting marvel unlimited uh some good ones in that list we'll also tell you what collections are out every week and if that wasn't enough we also have a reading club who's with us this week yes we are talking to friend of the show torin clark He's one of the cover artists that we've seen a lot of lately. He is doing the Miles Morales covers, um, but he has so many other variant covers, which I adore. But we are talking about Uncanny X-Men numbers 190 through 191, which is the Kulin Goth saga, um, where the Uncanny X-Men and Spider-Man go up against Kulin Goth. Hell yeah. I am very excited because that classic Uncanny X-Men Kulin Goth story is great and terrifying and wonderful and it's very fun to talk about and then getting a little surprise visit by someone who is also deeply affected by it mr jerry duggan coming on Mm -hmm. to just he's gonna join us for a little bit talk about what that meant to him and how that influenced his work and career and like multiple years of storytelling right it's it's huge it's really really (sighs) cool yeah i'm so excited Um, for you guys to hear that yeah um, I also I wanted to give a quick shout out to one of our listeners, um, Liam, who is, he goes by Toy Box Soapbox on social media and stuff like that. He's one of the co-hosts of a Transformers podcast or a toy podcast that I listen to called Triple Takeover. But um, we, were, we were messaging back and forth and he really dug our Executioner song, uh, Reading Club from a couple episodes back. Heck and yeah. also Jasmine, he had some wonderful things to say about the history of Marvel Comics Black Panther podcast. Said you. Y'all did a great job putting it together. I made sure to let let him know that um, you worked really hard on that. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. All right. Let's get into the new books for this week with our first pick, which is Avengers number 56. Look, we probably picked a lot of Avengers issues over the last 
four years, almost five years. Gosh, what a run. What a it's run. like every time I'm like, oh, okay, like this, I know where the story's gonna go. Mm-hmm. He, like, Jason Aaron just takes it to a whole nother level. And like, he teased this when we were talking to him about yeah. Thor, God of Thunder. And like, even with that tease, I couldn't have guessed what he was gonna do in this issue. Yeah, this one is spectacular. It is Jason Aaron on writing with Javier Garon on uh, pencils and inks, which just absolutely crushing it. Colors by David Curiel, also crushing it. Lettering by VCs Corey Pettit. Yeah, also crushing it. Everybody is just on it. fire, bringing all the thunder. This opens uh, this issue, I will say, the issue is called The Saga of Jane. And so... If you needed any reason to pick it up, it is a Jane Foster focused issue written by Jason Aaron. Boom, right there. You better be into it. Just to, just as at the stage too, like I, I know we, we gave the credits for all these amazing creators, but I want to also shout out the the cover artist for this book, uh, which is Javier Garon and David Curiel. And like that cover is spectacular. Like it totally sets up what this book is going to be about. It's a Jane centric book and we get to see both Jane Foster's Thor and Jane Foster's Valkyrie kind of like staring at each other almost like as a reflection and like they look stunning like both of them look stunning and you realize how far this character has gone yeah she's been through a heck of a lot and um we open with jane foster dreaming waking up next to her husband thor but they sleep in separate beds like there's a whole bunch of things that was like wait what's going on like mm-hmm. If I'm married to Thor, I'm snuggling up on that. He's big and burly. I'm going to get lost in those arms because, like, no two beds for us. What is this, 1952? We ain't having This is, like, 1786. Yeah, I mean, they they live in this beautiful little cottage. Can we talk about how gorgeous the, like, it's the third page. There's a half-page panel of the scene setting of where Jane and Thor live. The two of them are walking arm in arm as he goes off to, you know, Thor work, whatever it is. But their cottage is, it's so cool. It's like out of a storybook. It is. It feels very fairy tale, fantasy like. Uh, it reminds me of like the Hobbit type of like housing. Yeah. yeah. What is, you know, wonderful is that you got this really beautiful, pretty stuff and the really intense, wonderful, and at times subtle underpinnings of horror and tension and darkness there's a shot of jane turning around thinking about what she's supposed to be doing who she is Mm -hmm. where she is and thor has just left to go to work but he's just hanging he's dangling sky he's just like there out of her eyesight but just like when he's not with her he's not doing anything he's useless he's like a puppet just kind of like waiting for the puppet master to pull strings again yeah javier draws such amazing food there's a feast that they're eating like I look, I guess I should probably just say Javier draws amazing everything from mm-hmm. the simple things of the what clothing Jane wears when she's sleeping or when she's just like bopping around the house to the way Thor looks to the look of Jane as Valkyrie or Jane as Thor. It's all so incredible. This Thor look. There's a big page where Thor shows up in lightning and, you know, sparkles and it's like it's gorgeous. I love this issue. Like like you said, it's a one and done, and it is definitely one that I'm going to add to my my long box collection. All right, next up, we have my first pick of the week, which is a shocker to nobody at this point. It is Captain Carter number three. I say that because I'm pretty sure I've picked the first two issues as my pick of the week when they came out, but I can't help it. This book is so damn good. It's written by Jamie McKelvey with art by Marika Cresta, colors by Matt Mila with letters by Clayton Cowles. And... 
this book starts to explore a little bit more of similar to what happened in Captain America's story in Steve Rogers. Like he starts to explore, you know, this this organization that he's kind of working with, like he's working with S.H.I.E.L.D. Same thing's happening here, but it's Captain Carter with Strike, and she's starting to question whether or not she wants to trust this organization. Um, she's starting to think, see things that aren't adding up. She has her friends also kind of involved in this and questioning things. Like we have Lizzie Braddock in here, who we get to see her in action. And some things that really, really, really hyped me up when they showed in, in this issue, especially around Lizzie. One of the characters that we've already met, um, who is Captain Carter's neighbor, Harley Davis, she also comes into play here and they start kind of questioning what's going on with Strike. It gave me the same feelings that Marvel Studios' Captain America Winter Soldier did, um, where you get a lot of that spy espionage, but like political thriller vibe. There is one scene in here that gave me the same vibes that I got when I saw Captain America in that elevator uh, with mm. the Hydra agents. Like, yeah. it is awesome. And it just keeps delivering. Like, this team just keeps swinging big and hitting all the right notes, so... Very excited to see where this thing goes. It's a fun, fast-paced action, spy, espionage, thriller. It's great fun. And also, like, Tony makes an appearance in this issue. But again, this is taking place in an alternate reality. So we get a different version of Tony Stark and Iron Man. And I just need to quickly say something. Because in this book, Tony Stark says that he knows of a bar that makes the best old-fashioned you'll ever taste. And it's not the old-fashioned Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm very upset and very offended by that statement. So, just setting the record straight here. You can't go wrong with the old-fashioned in Madison. Was that a bar? Yes. And they make the best old-fashioned. There's also, if you if you like old-fashions, the Wisconsin old-fashioned is the only right old-fashioned. I'm sorry. What's, what's the difference between that and a regular old-fashioned? They use brandy. Mm-hmm. All right. Our third pick of the week is Legion of X, number one. Y'all, I am so excited about this book. I will say, you could go in, you could pick this up, you could just dive in and be like, wow, this is a wild comic. I love it. I want to see Nightcrawler and um, Legion and all these other characters being fabulous and fun and weird and cool. If you want to go even deeper, before you read this or maybe after you read the first issue, go to your Marvel Unlimited or to your, to your local comic shop. Pick up all the X-Men Legacy issues, the X-Men Legacy Trades. It is the series written by Cy Spurrier. And there are probably four volumes, I think. And then pick up the Way of X collection. Read all those and then come back to this. It's like open up a sixth sense for you. You'll see so mm-hmm. many more things in this book. It's fantastic. It is This issue is written by Cy Spurrier, who wrote the aforementioned X-Men Legacy and Way of X. It is The Art in Here is by Jan Bazaldua. Colors by Federico Bli. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And the main characters here are Nightcrawler and Legion. Legion is the son of Professor Xavier. He was obviously the character that uh, was star of that Legion television show that everybody really dug a couple years ago. Nightcrawler is our favorite blue boy who is all about uh, religion and bamfing. I'm trying to figure out the best way to start this because there's so much going on here. I thought this issue was 60 pages long in it the best so way long, possible. It is so long, but it's great. Like I, I, what you just said like is 100% true, and I have it written out. There is about four different stories playing out in this book. Each story is led by a different character of the member of the team, but like mm-hmm. they weave so neatly into each other in order to tell the bigger story and like what this team is about, which I really dug. So it's coming out of the Way of X storyline really is where this book lands. And it's about Nightcrawler sort of leading a group that is 
here to keep the peace on Krakoa, to find ways to help fellow mutants, help their nation, not a police force, but a sort of peaceful force. Uh, to put it in his words, they are here to keep the peace, keep the law, and keep the spark. Yeah, keep yeah. the spark. Yeah, they want to make sure that the three laws of Krakoa are obeyed. And there's a great text page here where it discusses the three laws of Krakoa, but then with interpretive annotations for legionary guidance by Nightcrawler. Legionary guidance means the, the legion. That's what they are. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of little bits in here. There's talking about making more mutants, about murdering no man, respecting this land, and keeping the spark. Try new things, mm -hmm. which is fun. Then it opens into this scene on Arako, where Nightcrawler goes to see storm um at her behest and it is so funny it i is love this, the scene it's so good it's you know when you have someone you're so close to and you've known for decades mm -hmm. and you see them for the first time and it's you can joke with them and and like rib them and be silly with them and it, there's such a, a familiarity that you have with very few people that is the way nightcrawler and storm are in this issue it's very funny it's cute it's sweet um, and then it opens into beautiful weird designs like the iraqi mutants there's just so much fun that i think our artists have in creating iraqi so we get into all the stuff that's going on on Araco, and um there's wild stuff nightcrawler goes on uh, a mission for storm and for the iraqi people which introduces new characters i know one of your favorite new characters yes. <laughs> zen S-Z-E-N is introduced in this book, and oh my god, I felt like a little kid. Like I was like, I want to be her. I'm her. Yeah. She's cool. She's got a great design. Um, so cool. She's got an attitude. She's got these cool weapons. She's so got, badass. Uh, um, yeah, she's got great powers. There's a conversation that she has with Nightcrawler that is fun, and she's like, hey, I like the way your fur looks. Let's have sex. And he's just like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And uh, it's really funny. It's... He's got to adhere to his own laws. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a million ways around it. There's also really cool mythology building that happens in this issue around the Rocky people and the way they view gods and how gods play into their society, which I don't want to, I won't get into here. Cause I think that's something really cool for everybody to explore as mm -hmm. they read this issue. But on the flip side, you also on Krakoa, you have juggernaut playing a major part in this book and in, on this team, which is super fun. And yes, we know he's not a mutant. It's addressed, it's brought up, but it's like, who doesn't want the Juggernaut in this book? Everybody so cool. wants Juggernaut. It's great. Pixie's in here. Oh, um, my girl. I know. A great mutant with a very upsetting power set called Forget-Me-Not, in which once you sort of like stop looking at him, you forget who he is and what he is, and it's just such a bummer. Yet he still has such a great role to play in this book. Sysburyer continues to surprise and delight me on his X-Books, and I'm so glad he's back doing stuff. And again, if you're a fan of X-Men Legacy and everything that happened with Legion and with Blindfold in that story, this is so amazing. This pulls at your heartstrings. This gives us a bunch of brand new moments, and it kind of like redeems some things and brings mm -hmm. us back. It is super sweet. And then, and then the last page has a brand, another brand new character. So badass too. She's so cool. And she's got a design by Jamie McKelvey. That's one of the variant covers. Her name is mother righteous, which I wouldn't normally spoil, but like it doesn't say anything else. Just 
about the character also it's on jamie's variant cover yeah the design variant um so it's all very front and center she looks super cool so cool like we're talking like celine vibes cool whoa i wouldn't use that word loosely i wouldn't i wouldn't use her name in vain like that fair enough All right, Jazz, it is time for the award section of the show. Uh, what is our award name for this week? All right. For this week, we have the You Smell Like Pudding Award. That was an easy one, right? I mean, come on. That was pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, I saw it and was like, this has to be it. Like, it's, yeah. it's just short and sweet. For sure. If you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List and let us know it's okay to read on the show if you want to if you send a message with it or you can also email us at pull list at marvel.com uh and if you're the first give or take uh maybe i'll send you something fun or, or do something i don't know just check your messages we'll see also let us know where you're emailing us from i'm very determined to fill out this map oh like location wise location wise yeah Yes, yes. Uh, speaking of location-wise, shout out to Comic Swap in State College, PA. Went there Ooh. on my vacation last weekend and mm-hmm. bought a couple comics. Talked to James, who worked at the shop, who was super terrific. Great little shop. I love that. I love when you get like good local recommendations. Mm-hmm. All right. What about last week? Who was our winner of last week's award? All right. So last week's award, if you remember, was the Time to Make Some Mutant Jelly Award. Um, which was in New Mutants number 25. Um, but it was an email submission by Eric Hale, um, who sent us a incredible email that crushed me, but also was like super sweet. And I'm, I'm glad everything's worked out. Um, so Eric's email uh, reads, I wanted to thank you for the discussion around the death of Captain Marvel and more specifically about the discussion around cancer and facing our mortality. I myself was diagnosed at the age of 30 with stage 3A lung cancer. This is a rarity as a healthy non-smoker at my age, and after going through chemo, radiation, and surgery to remove half of my left lung, I was given a 4% chance to live another 5 years by my doctors. Needless to say, it is one of the most harrowing experiences to face your mortality at that age and to ask what your new normal means living with the disease. It changes everything. The way you see the world, your friendships, even the relationships with your own family. It can be a lonely and confusing experience at the best of times. Somehow, Eric continues, I find that I have the luck abilities of Domino and have passed that five-year mark. After one reoccurrence in 2019, I'm now nine-plus years out from original diagnosis and cancer-free. Um, my interjection here, woohoo! Yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah, Eric continues. I wanted to thank you all for being so open, real, and candid about this often taboo subject. I believe that we need to normalize talking about difficult things, like cancer, as we can then discuss it openly without stigma. Doing so means that we can support others in our lives who will be diagnosed in the future with open arms and even talk about things like raising funds for research to save lives. If we can't talk frankly about these things, then we can't talk about solving them either. Anyway, apologies for the long email. I didn't necessarily intend to write all this, but I am quite passionate about cancer advocacy, and your conversation struck a powerful chord with me. Thanks so much for having that conversation and focusing on such a bittersweet story in Marvel's history. Eric. Eric. We've gotten emails from from Eric before. This is the thing. Having done all our shows for so many years, I feel like I start to know 
our listeners and like hear stories and like Karis, I you know, I sent her comics for her wedding and I've met her and her wife. And I like I know a lot of our listeners. I've met, you know, some of our listeners from Twim at, at various events and stuff. So, you know, Eric, I've like the, starting to get to know you. Um, I want to give you a big old hug and oh, say, I know, right? uh, and, and then also like the handshake from Predator to be like, yeah, <laughs> kicking cancer's ass, bro. It's great. Do it. Hell yeah. I'm glad that you're nine plus years cancer free. Yeah. That's awesome. Heck yeah. All right. We got another email from Michael Eisenstein, who also guessed correctly and found the award name. Um, he says, Dear Ryan Jasmine, congratulations on 200 episodes and here's to many more. I recently went back and listened to some of your earlier recordings and they hold up as a time capsule of first impressions on new comics, as well as a treasure trove of knowledge into suggestions on reading to explore for fans of Marvel and comics in general. He continues to give the uh, creatives of New Mutant number 25 high praise, Vida Ayala, Rodriguez, um, and the rest of the crew, as well as highlighting that this New Mutant series is worthy of its lineage of many wonderful creators before it. I think most fondly of the Demon Bear Saga. I love that book so much. But he continues saying, uh, which should certainly be required reading, couldn't agree more, for any Marvel fans, uh, speaking of required reading, thanks for the introduction to the death of Captain Marvel in the reading club. I have not read this yet, but I'm eager to pick it up soon and experience it firsthand. Heck yeah, I'm so excited for you to read this. If you thought Demon Bear Saga was required reading, this one. We have an email from Mitch Krumpudich, who also finds the uh, quote from New Mutants 25 and says, thanks for the recommendation and the code, because Mitch previously, um, I may have given him a code for a comic book. Who knows? We'll see. He says, I love the issue so much that I had to get it in paper, too. That is success. Jasmine, did you hear that? I did. Got a code for a comic. Loved it so much. Bought it in print. That right there. We are bringing money to the company. Everybody, print it. Make it happen. I don't know I what I'm making happen. Usually it happens the opposite way where they get the, the, the print comic and then the digital. But this is. Yeah, I like, love it. This is Mitch. That makes me so, so happy. Thank you so much. And Mitch goes on to say, I added it to my sub box, a.k.a. Yeah. Mitch's pull list and yes. wanted to get caught up on Marvel Unlimited as well. I wanted to give a shout out to my local comic shop, Samurai Comics in Phoenix, Arizona. It's the best store around. I look forward to going every week to pick up my comics and chat with the staff. Uh, shout out to Samurai in Phoenix. Very cool. That's awesome. I'm gonna, I'm slowly. You can't hear it right now, but I'm slowly filling in Arizona, like the state, on my my color in map for all our listeners. So we got another one. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So wheat. Um, shout out as always to listeners Lex Pendragon, Karis Pollard, Mountain Meg, who sent out some tweets for us. Uh, we this is a big old show, so we got to keep on rolling. Mm-hmm. But now to talk about some of these fabulous, fresh, new floppies. Um, first up, we have Amazing Spider-Man number two. And right off the bat, um, we recently did a reading club with uh, Alex Segura that's going to be coming out soon on John Romita Jr. Spider-Man. And there is one particular panel in here. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Immediately. I was, oh, yeah. I saw the panel and I was like, this is classic John Romita Jr. Like mm-hmm. Spider-Man. And the, like just seeing sp- that Spider-Man drawn again made me so happy and I, I adore this book. I mean, it can't get any funnier, can't get any better. Um, but I want to give my You Smell Like Pudding Award to the White Rabbit, who is a little scheming in this issue. Like, you know, just when you think you figured it out, like, mm-mm, she's becoming a major player. And I really, really dig that. Hell yeah. 
All right, we've got Devil's Reign Omega number one out this week, nearly one of our picks. There's three different stories in this issue. Um, you get one, which is the funeral for Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Spoiler alert. I guess y'all have to read Devil's Reign if you haven't yet. Uh, but that last issue came out like a month and a half ago. So Yeah, you know. come on now. Um, but it's great. There's conversations between Luke Cage and Daredevil and, and the Daredevils. Um, Danny Rand is in here. We got some great stuff with uh, Jessica Jones. Big, ac- uh, like some big developments for the uh, the Cage Jones family in here. I will say that that's some stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, oh, I need to know how this plays out. I am very curious, but I'm also like, this is going to make for some interesting dialogue, and I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, then you also get a story with Luke Cage and Monica Rambeau. As they're talking Thunderbolts, which is super fun. I will give my You Smell Like Pudding award to Monica Rambeau. Because she's Monica friggin' Rambeau, y'all. She rules. All right, next up we have Hulk number seven. And, you know, it's funny because we often see Thor having the daddy issues with Odin. And so, like, that's a familiar theme that we see throughout Thor books. And, like, Thor's, like legacy but in this version we have like daddy issues but they're like a different kind of daddy issue and i want to give my award to odin for just making this a bigger mess than it has to be speaking of daddy issues we've got moon knight number 11 this week and there's a whole scene in here where moon knight is like father father (laughs) and then you get this beautiful splash page of conchu coming down and you you could just hear f murray abraham saying my son like it just rules so hard it's really good this could have been one of our picks of the week definitely i will give my you smell like pudding award to the final page of the issue just because it has such a it's a beautiful big page big splash page reveal of a character showing up and if you're obviously if you're reading the story you know what's going on but it still has this moment of like all right, like a, a, a really good guitar riff is starting up. Heck We're about yeah. to get into some bad, bad stuff happening. It's it's really good. So hyped. Also want to note that if you read Age of Kanchu over in Avengers by Jason Aaron and Javier Garon, this ties into that. So last mm-hmm. time we saw Kanchu was in that book. And so that's addressed here. So starting to tie a little bit of the, the loose end in the Marvel Universe right now. So I'm very excited to see how that plays out. Next up, we have Punisher number three. and this is my favorite kind of Punisher. Jason Aaron just always hits this. My favorite Punisher is when the Punisher is the antithesis of who Captain America is. Like he he strives to be Captain America, but he just takes it too far. And in this issue, we really explore that. Like we go back into his past and start to explore, you know, what made Frank Castle the Punisher. And oftentimes, you know, we hear his origin story and like that's usually the thing. But here we start to explore a little bit more. And, you know, what happened before that? Like, who is the Spring Castle? You know, how did we get here to this point? And I want to give my You Smell Like Pudding Award to Jason Aaron because the way he's weaving this narrative in the story is just like masterclass. Like, I just, it is crazy to me that he is able to like thread this needle throughout Frank Castle's entire legacy as the Punisher in the comics. It's something else, man. <sighs> All right, we've got Savage Spider-Man number three out this week. And this is just, you got wild Baron Zemo dialogue and energy throughout this. You've got Spider-Man who is turned into a true spider monster that is acting on a lot of impulse and instinct. And it's scary and weird and it's big, fast-paced action. But I want to give 
my You Smell Like Pudding Award to artist Gerardo Sandoval because there's something that that Gerardo does with paneling that is really subtle. It's really something that you may not notice, but I think it subliminally affects the way you feel about this issue when you read it. The feeling of this book is very like, go, 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 vibe, 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 excitement, action, terror, you know, all this stuff. When the savage Spider-Man is around and that really takes place. Like the panel borders are kind of skewed. Sometimes they're in they're like jagged. Sometimes they're um, actually like webbing as the borders. They're not straight squares or rectangles when most of the action around Savage Spider-Man is going on. There's a feeling of disorientation that happens around those pages and around that action that kind of pushes you forward into the way that you're kind of meant to feel uneasy and fast-paced and a little like terrified for what's going on. And then you get to a little bit later and it's Zemo having conversations with these other people. And it's very like logical and like discussing their nefarious plans together. But then the panel borders, it's like there's white background. It's very simple panel borders. It's very clear which I think is is a thing that is done intentionally to separate the different types of story that are going on in here. And I think it's it's masterfully done. Love it. Next up, we have Spider-Man 2099 Exodus, issue number one. And this story, this issue, it was so good. Um, and I wasn't expecting this type of story to be in, in a Spider-Man 2099 book. And I want to give my You Smell Like Pudding Award to both Steve Orlando and Dave Wachter for introducing us to the winter soldier 2099 she is so badass and the fight that she has against crossbones in this issue is gnarly i mean just the art alone is i was staring at it for like a solid 20 minutes because i just there's so much going on um in these characters designs and i'm really really excited to see where where she goes and where she appears next Mm-hmm. for sure heck of an issue yes. all right into Marvel Unlimited, starting with our Infinity Comics. We've got issues of X-Men Unlimited, Infinity Comic number 36, Spider-Verse Unlimited, Infinity number 6, Patsy Walker, Infinity Comic number 3, and Marvel Meow, Infinity number 7, as well as five more issues of the Ms. Marvel No Normal Infinity Comic adaptation. So taking the classic Ms. Marvel story and adapting it to our vertical scrolling Infinity format. Yeah. Also coming to MU is Iron Fist number one, Hulk number four, and Marvel's Voices Legacy number one. Heck yeah. Over on the collection side of things, we've got a treasury edition of Demon Days, which is very cool. I just got a box in of uh, comics, so I'm assuming it's in there. Oh, that's going to make such a gorgeous like coffee table book. Yeah. Uh, the volume three, the final volume mm. right now of Black Widow by Kelly Thompson and crew, which come on, you have to have that. Very, very cool. That is it for the new books in this week, but it is time for our reading club. Once again, Jasmine, who are we talking to? We are talking to Torin Clark, who does the covers for Miles Morales' Spider-Man, as well as a couple other variant covers across the Marvel tapestry. And we are talking about Uncanny X-Men's issue number 190 and 191, which is the Uncanny X-Men versus Coolant Goth. Hell of a story. Let's get Ooh. into it.
All right, Jasmine, let's get into some nerdy conversations with our guest this week, Torin Clark. Torin, welcome to Marvel's Pull List. Thank you for having me. Uh, we are going to be talking about some uh, some really fantastic Uncanny X-Men issues here in our reading club. We're talking about Uncanny X-Men 190 and 191. And you may think, oh, just two issues. That's easy. Oh, hold on to your booties. We got a lot to talk about. And it's going to be good. Uh, before we get into any of that, uh, Torin, um, I, there's a question that our, our dearly departed co-host Tucker always like to ask, and I, I, I feel like I got to steal it. Do you remember your comic shop growing up, if you went to a comic shop growing up? I absolutely do. It was Metro Comics on Montague Street in Brooklyn, New York. If you know Brooklyn, it's uh, I, I was going from Clinton Hill to Brooklyn Heights, so that's like... I don't know, three miles. I'm like in the second grade, just trekking half across Brooklyn to go to this one little comic book store. But it was amazing. Like they, the staff was all indie rock college kids. I was like 10. So they put me on the like, you know, bands like Joy Division. And they would sneak me the 18 and over books or like they would give me like weird import stuff. Like, oh, he's got Captain Britain and uh, Marvel Daredevils or whatever. Like they would have all these really weird things. I was just like, gimme, 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 gimme. And then they went out of business. They broke my heart. <laughs> oh, that answered my question. That's <laughs> oh yeah, they're they're long gone. Ninety percent of our comic shops. Sad. Such a bummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do you remember what you were like regularly picking up back then? Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, obviously X Men. Like that was my my uh, meat and potatoes. Excalibur was very big on, on my on my pull list. Classic X-Men, Uncanny, I was reading simultaneously. My dad was a comic book collector, so was my mom. He had a lot of the late 70s stuff. I think my first issue of X-Men was 126. Fantastic Four, the burn era, Fantastic Four, like my first issue. I think my, yeah, my first comic book ever was 282. And that's that's the one that made me go, I want to draw. Like I sat down and drew the little splash page with uh, Franklin Richards. I remember having my little tracing pad and just going over John Byrne's lines. And that was pretty much how I started drawing. Um, I wanted to, to switch gears and get to this story. Yes. Uh, the ones that you you asked about or that you brought us, uh, Torrent. And I'm curious, where did these come into play on in like your reading? This was when I was definitely collecting. I don't remember. I was young. I was super young. But it's it's one of those things where I had it when it came out and I, was like oh that's cool but I didn't think too much of it but when I went back maybe in my teens I was like holy crap this is actually really good like so X-Men 190 and 191 come into play in a very weird specific part of X-Men because you've got like these bombastic stories of you know Byrne and 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 uh, um, uh Dave Cockrum and, oh, and, and yeah. Cockrum, yeah. right so you've got the whole cosmic stuff with with Phoenix and binary and the brood and all that other stuff. And then you kind of wind down with these personal tales with Claremont and Paul Smith, which I hated at the time because I was a dumb kid, but looking back at them, they were so perfectly done because of Paul Smith's storytelling style. Like he zoomed in on very personal specific moments. So the shift from Earthman being like, you know, these blockbuster movie comics to being kind of these, interpersonal relationships between these characters that you've known it kind of was a an interesting period 
So in between the huge 90s with X-Men 1 and all that other stuff and Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri and those guys, and between the Cockrum and, and uh, Burn era, you've got like Paul Smith, John Romita Jr. and all those guys on, on, on Claremont on the 190s. And 190 has this weird, I've taken a, a detour from this story and here's something completely unrelated that we're just going to do. 189 has nothing to do with what happens at the beginning of 190. And I love that. Like, I remember picking it up and being like, this is super weird. What did I miss? But it's so it's, it's self-contained. So I'm like, all right, uh, let's ride with it. So, I mean, if you guys have read it, it starts off with uh, the shot of Manhattan and the, the U.S. military and S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of going, oh, no, what's what's happened to Manhattan? There's a huge barrier around the island of Manhattan and you can't find the Fantastic Four and everyone's missing. And then uh, kind of reveals that um, and Gaff, this guy who I had never heard of, had showed up and apparently beat the crap out of every hero ever in the island of Manhattan where 400 heroes live. Who is this guy? How did he show up and do this? I'm going back and I'm reading the issue before and I'm like, wait, they don't mention any of this. What the hell happened? And, and it, that's what kind of got me. It's, it's this little two-issue self-contained story where you get not just the X-Men, but you get the New Mutants, you get uh, the Avengers, and you get Spider-Man. And I don't remember if this was before Secret Wars or not, but superheroes didn't really interact like that back then. Like you, This is before Secret Wars, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, so like it was very rare that characters would be like in the same book together and it not be like, uh, oh, we're going to fight each other or like, like they would meet, but they would never, it was almost like they never remembered each other. It would be kind of annoying. Like they didn't have any relationship and it wouldn't be like, oh, Reed, remember that time that we went back in time and, you know, fought Galactus <laughs> on the moon? Like they, that would never happen. It'd be like, oh, I remember, oh, he must be here to steal my Twinkies. And then they fight for like 30 <laughs> pages. And like, okay, or, you guys have never read each other before. But anyway, um, yeah, this book has got literally everything. At one point in time, Spider-Man dies in the book. It's just a random, crazy epic story that happens to span two books. When it could have been, you know, if it came out now, it would be like a four-month crossover in every book. That's that's what I was thinking, too. Like, the first thing that came to mind when I was reading this was, like, War of the Realms and how, like... It's a similar, not the exact same thing, but it's like, you know, it's the same kind of concept. Manhattan gets taken over by this like new type of baddie. It's just like they're reshaping it in their own image. And that was a whole event. Like I love War of the Realms. And it was like a whole event that had its own spinoffs and like individual like one shots. And here is this like similar story, but just, you know, in two issues. And I'm like, wow. Right. right. And, and what I liked about it, especially after the fact, because uh, I remember reading it, and an older friend of mine said, oh, that's the follow-up to Marvel Team-Up 79. He's uh, 10 years older than me, but he had like all of these classic books that I wouldn't have read, like Marvel Team-Up and Marvel uh, Supervillain Team-Up, which is amazing if you ever get a chance to read those. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're just so good. So just everyone good. being a jerk to each other all the time. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and, and, it's, and despite these Team-Up books, no one still knew who each other were in the, in the next issues. <laughs> So Secret Wars is going on concurrently with the books that we're talking about, but they sort of had that, had the relationships uh, sort of built, but none of that was really, it was very loosey-goosey at the time. (laughs) Uh, And so Young Dragons in Love is 181. And I also want to say that creative team for 190, 191 
written by Chris Claremont, of course, uh, penciled by John Romita Jr., colors by Glennis Ween slash Glennis Oliver, uh, inks by Dan Green, letters by Tom Orzakowski. And uh, Johnny Jr. came on with Paul, like Paul Smith was finishing up, and Johnny came Mm -hmm. on at 175. Mm -hmm. And so he goes almost unbroken for a while as as the main artist on uncanny except for friggin life death which is uh just barry winter smith yeah yeah uh, barry winter smith coming in just basically power bombing everyone and being like oh you want to see comic books how about this and just destroying (laughs) in a really beautiful (laughs) emotional book yeah is 186 so you got that and then 188 and 189 because there were when i was reading 190 i was like something's nagging in the in like scratching at my brain there's something i'm missing and so claremont and ramita and the team seed the cool and goth story in 188 and 189 with three pages of material yes yeah it's like one of those things that when you've read them you're like this makes wasn't this part of the story (laughs) And then right. you, you go and you pull those things and it's basically about cool and goth's necklace, which holds his, his soul, his essence, his power, basically like one ringing itself into being, it's like calling, right. it's, it's like Sauron with the one ring. He's all his power is in this right. and it, it gets picked up by a genuinely just a good dude who is taking care of his kid and working his job and he pulls it out of a fish. And it's just, I love that mm-hmm. he pulls the necklace out of the fish. And I, I wish I, I wish we had Marvel team up 79 to see that connective tissue of like what happened to the necklace. Cause I imagine that's, that's where it like got dropped off. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Marvel team, it's, I feel like it's a super short issue too. Like it's not very long. Yeah. It's, it's in, it's in a museum, right? They, they fight in a museum. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So basically someone picks up some security guard picks up the, uh, yeah. the hand yeah, yeah, that yeah, becomes yeah. cool and gap. Mary Jane picks up the sword, becomes Red Sonia. Mm-hmm. They start fighting. Um, Spider-Man does what Spider-Man does. Comes in, swoops in, and saves the day. Oh, 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 here's some jokes. I don't know who this old guy is. This is this is Tuesday for me. Nothing special. Takes the ambulance, throws it in the river. Done and done. Oh, and, and that's how the fish gets it. That's how the fish gets it because he didn't get rid of the thing responsibly. Your uncle bends yourself, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Jaime Rodriguez is his name. Yeah. The guy who pulls yeah. it out of the fish. And like, <laughs> oh, I mean, he's such a good guy. dude. He's like, I got it. Look, my son got straight A's. We'll go watch the game, but I got to pick up my son. He's going to come with. Like, I've read this, and it's what you were saying, Torin. Like, those, there, there was such a great bit of characterization that even in three pages, I got of this one dude. I was like, I'm with this guy. I'm on his right. side. Oh, so great. At the end of 91, it kind of goes back to that same story. We can talk about this more as we get further into the pod, but like 91 ends where everything kind of gets reverted back to normal and like you get that exact same scene in the setup and it sets up the next story with Nimrod, which I thought was really cool too. Yes, Yes, I was going to say that's a Claremontism with with the Nimrod thing. It's very, very on on brand. Yeah, Um, I I forgot thinking about because Nimrod being such an important point of Marvel, of of X-Men stories right now. 191 right. is Nimrod's first appearance. Like that's I didn't know that. It is. It that's is. where he yeah. shows up for the first time. And you're like, yeah. man, he's so a skinny awesome. boy in this one. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it. whoa, he doesn't have the bulk yet. He has he no. has some um some uh robotic enhancing materials that help him out later on in life. But oh, okay. Yeah. 
I think it's uh, what I'm loving about the current X-Men is how much it throws back to all that old stuff. And they were like, oh, Celine's going to be a big problem coming forward. I'm like, yes, thank you. Remember Celine? She's a nightmare. Bring her up. Bring her back. I I lost it because I okay. So I've never read these issues before. And like oh, the God. first thing I said to Ryan when I started reading, I was like, Celine's in this book. Like, yeah, she's I was I, I, I love Celine. Like Brian got me on Celine just because of uh what is it? Necrosha. Necrosha. Yes. I started yeah, reading Necrosha. And yeah, and so I was like, I need more Celine. And then reading this, I was just like, yes. Yeah, she's like one of those, this is a huge problem kind of person, but they use her so sparingly. Which, you know what? Honestly, that is probably a good thing. Like, let's not yeah. overuse her because whenever she shows up, it's legitimately like, okay, I'm it's one a big deal into this. Yeah. Just the the layers that are built into like just a couple of dialogue beats in there, establishing their rivalry, their history. I, I was like, man, so damn good. I didn't know who the hell Cool and Gath was, but I see Celine, who's literally been whooping everyone's ass for the last like two or three issues, show up and be like, "Ah, oh, crap! I got to deal with this guy." And she's legitimately panicked. She's like, "Okay, all right, all right, okay. Uh, I'll call the X Men, and they'll <laughs> help me because that's a good idea. I mean, they can trust me. I would trust me, right? I would trust me, yeah." And you know, it spirals from there. But but I love that. I, I there's so many there's so many weird intertwining beats there. Specifically, oh, so many of them. It's it's so good. I mean, and again, the Spider-Man part, which which confused me initially, but made so much more sense after reading Marvel Team Up. Everyone else is part of the spell, and they all speak uh, whatever Hyborian or whatever language it is they're speaking, and. Spider-Man is the only one left out of the spell. And it always bothered me as a kid. Like, why does this guy have such a mad on for this guy? And it's like, oh, Spider-Man's the one who beat him. So he's being a prick specifically to Spider-Man to make his life a living hell. And unlike a Doom or, you know, uh, Dormammu or whatever, he comes in and he's literally like, all right, I'm taking out Doctor Strange, Professor X, anyone who's a, who's a major issue is gone off the bat. So let's just clear that up. There's no plot holes here. Who's going to stop me? Fantastic Four is mucking off somewhere in the negative zone. Who cares? So I've got all of New York locked locked down. I'm going to make sure that Spider-Man sees and suffers through this entire thing. And it's just, it's just, it's a vengeance tale and it's brutal. And it's, it's just, it's so brutal. It's so petty. That's what I love about it. Yeah. It's been that long. You, I, You'd think after being hundreds of thousands of years old, you'd be able to like, eh, you know, it's just some spider guy. But no, no, he's learned over the millennia to just have a grudge and hold on to it because he's a <laughs> jerk. <laughs> and I like that. That's his motivation. I'm a jerk. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the lineup of the characters that are in here because we've mentioned some of them, um, but I'm fascinated by some of the Avengers that are in this. Uh, so we have Cap- time, <laughs> right? We have Captain America, Wasp, Star Fox, Vision, Scarlet <laughs> Witch, Spider-Man, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, Rogue, and then Callisto is also in this book, which what an assortment of like yes. heroes. I love it. I mean, and we also I think we had we had Magma. Oh yeah, Magma's Rachel, in it. Rachel of uh, Rachel Summers. Warlock's also in it too. Yeah, Warlock yeah, plays yeah. a huge Ileana's part. in there. Um, yeah. 
Vision, Colossus, Scarlet Witch, they pull a wide variety of characters to tell the story and using them in little bits and pieces as needed. Yeah. Plus pulling the Morlocks, which I think is people go into this, they look at this and like, I love when you can shine spotlight on the Morlocks and get characters who, you know, they're they're cool, but they've got their own vibe to them. And Callisto, man, this just reminds you, she is amazing. And they're, her conversation with Storm, when they get out and they're running, and Storm at this point doesn't even have her powers, but still, she's the goat. She's fighting Callisto, and then they she like kind of saves her. And Callisto's like, why don't you just use your powers and do this? And she's like, my powers got taken away. And Callisto, even though they are like deep rivals, she will stab Aurora in a heartbeat. She's like, we protect our people. When I find out who did this to you, I'm going to kill them. And I was like, yep. Yeah. That, that line is so good. That entire page is just brilliant. Amazing. It's, just, it's, it's so good. Again, you get a perfect sense of who these people are off the bat, even, even though it's like a completely uh, uh, fantasy world or whatever. I think the, the one line about their interpersonal relationships still being a part of the spell like they don't remember their history but they remember who their friends are so mm-hmm. cap is still cap despite him being like you know conan cap the avengers are still very much the avengers i, I very much liked the fact that you could you kind of knew who everyone was yeah i also like that they just because the spell does this sort of hocus pocus thing on on everything it's like you know soldiers with guns whoop they just turn into uh like the, the guns turn into swords because yeah, of course they do. Just and you just <laughs> lean into it. You go for it. <laughs> right. It's, it's perfectly believable. You know, it's a perfect microcosm of fantasy and ridiculous, and it, it works so well. Mm-hmm. Looking at 79 and then thinking about the current book, man, Cool and Goth loves a cross. He loves to put people on crosses. Dude you know, that, that <laughs> image actually shocked me. Like when I saw it, I was like, whoa, like you have a crucified Spider-Man like uh-huh, uh-huh. and yeah. he's just like bloody and beaten. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I don't think I've ever seen anything that right <laughs> like gruesome. Yeah, I, I was maybe like, I couldn't I don't know how old I was. I remember seeing that being like, <laughs> they just kill Spider-Man like in a random panel. What, wait, what is this book? Yeah, <laughs> I I think that's that's a point I wanted to hit on because we talk a lot about kid like books what what are appropriate ages and kids and reading this and that and the other thing and I'm like oh man this book opens where you hear about cool and goth and they're like yeah he loves his whole thing is sacrificing his thing is like sacrificing children like that's what he does like they call (laughs) that out you see him torture spider-man kill spider-man just turn people to stone rip things out turn like he is it is a vicious brutal two issues in what is you know a a comic meant for for anyone and i think there's something to be said that like i have a two-year-old so i'm not sure that i'd be like when she's (laughs) five giving her these issues but if she's 10 years old and she's like happens upon this storyline there is a conversation to be had but like i'd be like okay you can right I, i read this kind of stuff when i was your age let's see what happens i was probably five when I read that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so that was that was uh to go back to my parents my dad would let me watch and read anything so mm. uh i remember watching john carpenter's the thing with him when i was two wow. and uh the scene when the autopsy happens and the, the guy's head detaches and walks out the room on the leg stalks i remember asking my dad does that happen when people die? Like, yeah, <laughs> happens all the time. It happens right now. 
maybe I'm more TV boy, and I'm like, cool. <laughs> maybe so. I should rethink my parenting. <laughs> I don't think you should. Sounds like I'm, a once in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> I might be fundamentally broken. Don't do it, my parents. <laughs> hey, you're a cover artist though, so maybe that's what it takes. <laughs> right to be broken inside. The best way to no, become I, a cover I, artist kid <laughs> is to destroy whatever moral compass you had. Hey, stay in school, kids. There you go. <laughs> but no, like, it's funny because, like you said, it's a very brutal comic. And this is the comic code authority days. This is like, you can't do drugs, can't do this. You know, there's none of that stuff can be portrayed in comics. And you've got this guy routinely just ripping people's arms off and melting people's faces or whatever on every page. It's like, okay, cool. I wonder how much of that stuff they were allowed to skate by because I think about you were talking about gross issues before in, in Secret Wars 2 there's a there's a page where Mephisto barfs maggots into the Beyonder's mouth Ugh. and oh my god the one time I've ever been grossed out in my entire life was reading that book I still have my copy of it and it has barf on it because I barf Ew. because yes. why <laughs> that is why, amazing why was this written who thought this was okay but we need to do a video series, The Books That Made Us Barf. Like, <laughs> what book? It'll just be a barfing montage. Like, here's the uh. book. <laughs> <laughs> so sick. Last thing before we let you go, if you had to pick all-time favorites of cover artists, like if you were like, these are the Oof. artists that would make me pick up anything no matter what, who would who would strike you the most? I, I didn't say just one, but like those who, who like grab you. <sighs> Bill Sienkiewicz, first of all, definitely Charles Vess to this day, Adam Hughes, obviously, Ryan Sook, I absolutely love, mm-hmm. my buddy Kevin Wada. There's an artist, uh, John J. Muth, you guys might know. Muth is the reason Muth. I picked up watercolors. He's the reason I started to paint. I stopped reading. I stopped reading comic books in the 90s so I could focus on painting because of him. So anything he does. Brian Stelfries, I absolutely yes. adore. Stelfreeze is a huge, huge, huge influence. His uh, his Shadow of the Bat covers in the 90s taught me what a cover artist should be. Kyle Baker is another one. Yes. J.H. Williams is another one. Trying to look around my room to see like <laughs> whose books I have. I mean, these are good, <laughs> these are good picks without question. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always gone, I've always liked a more of an illustrator, illustrative kind of kind of style. Mm-hmm. So like a lot, a lot of the, the, the cartoonier stuff doesn't really, I, I appreciate it, but it doesn't, it's not what inspires me. So I mm-hmm. kind of go, okay, that's cool. Ryan, if you haven't seen it yet, you have to go to uh, Torrance Instagram and look at his thick Samus. <laughs> Samus, Samus, oh God. Samus, not thick Samus or Thamus. She, <laughs> she would be built. She's walking around in power armor. She's not yeah. going to be this. Exactly. Any way if she's going to be, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody should go to your social pages. Your Instagram is full of so incredible good. stuff. Uh, you want to plug your, your socials before we let you go? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Uh, my Instagram is Mwadib, M-U-A-A-D-I-B. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I post much less there. But uh, yeah, that's, that's where I do all my fan art and all my my weird rants. So if you want to see how much of a true lunatic I am, come see me. You get to see some fun pictures and see how much of a nutbag I am. This was amazing. Thank you for having me. I love this stuff. You were the coolest. Thanks, Tori. Yeah, anytime. We'd love to have you on again. Oh, I like that singular tear from my eye. 
And as we mentioned earlier in the episode, we also have a bonus appearance by writer Jerry Duggan because his Savage Avenger storyline revolved around pretty much everyone versus Cool and Goth. And it was all because of Uncanny X-Men 190 and 191. So we were lucky enough to have Jerry come on, tell us all about how and why that happened. Heck yeah. So Jasmine, we had this great conversation about Uncanny X-Men 190 and 191. We talked with Torrin Clark all about it. And I thought, I know one person who I've heard vociferously talk about this story more than anyone else that I know. So I thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could hear from one writer named Jerry Duggan? Jerry, are you here? Hi there. Thank you for inviting me on to your to your airwaves. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jerry. Jerry, we talked. Uh, we, we did a reading club on one ninety one ninety one, and it uh, it reminded me of your original pitches and, and conversations about Savage Avengers. Um, what does this story, this original Cool and Goth story, mean to you? You know, it's funny. I mean, I have to. We're talking about ancient history and Cool and Goth. I have to now discuss my own ancient history, but. The fun thing for me was, uh, you know, those were comics that were bought um, off of a rack or a stack at a at a newsstand. So I didn't know one month to the next what you were getting. And I, I you know, these are conversations that we have in the larger editorial Marvel retreats about trying to prove secrets and preserve that um, feeling that you're going to go and just have your hair blown back by something at best. In those days, we knew what a co- what cover we were looking for because at the end of the last issue, they would you know tease you that you'd have the soapbox and then you'd you'd have a maybe not quite a thumbnail you know like a two inches by three inches cover of what what the next issue was around Stan's soapbox and so you know every month hopefully we get something there that that uh, was surprising and it was fun. But that issue, so the, the, you know, going there and then all of a sudden being plunged into, you know, a fantasy and, and have it also involve Spider-Man and the Avengers. And it does more in those 44 pages, you know, than, than sometimes happens in an entire trade paperback or more, right? There's so much story that got accordioned. And it just, you know, on top of being a great story, that also reached across and sort of was greedy with all the toys, taking all the cool toys, you know, it it had a sacrifice play for, for Spider-Man. It had shocking deaths that, you know, that now maybe we've stolen from, you know, that, that story a lot and it seems less special, but it did it first, right. The, the idea that, um, you know, that heroes would fall and that, you know, the best thing about it, in my opinion, is, you know, um, we try to be the Lorax that speaks for the evil as writers. And so it has this wonderful um, sadistic villain and then that villain wins. And, you know, again, the villain is undone, but that's really what I, I love about it is that, you know, um, of all of the many wonderful characters in it, the first one, there's a reason we call it the cool and goth saga you know we don't call it the hyborian age you know it lives large as as a, a story that um could have been longer right like it's not often that we say like boy i wish that was longer in an era of three hour batman movies or whatever that was the one <laughs> where you go oh gosh you know i can't uh 
I, I wish that was a whole year. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, so I, I guess I've talked a lot about Chris Claremont. Uh, also, that was John Romita Jr., you know, at the height of his powers where he kicked open this door in my imagination. That might be the first time, too, that, like, I really recall sort of sitting up and, and going, oh, I'm this guy's fan for life. And then also the way, too, that, like, uh, at the end of it, it did this great thing that um, allowed the mutants, the X-Men to save the day, but sort of not get the credit for it. You know, the, a little bit of the Parker luck rubbed off on them, you know, and, but at the end, I, I believe it ends in the sanctum, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the, that, uh, you know, Steve Rogers is like, well, I'll, re- I'll remember. And so, um, you know, when Tom Brevoort uh, rang me about um, Savage Avengers, you know, I, I don't know if I was his first call, but he didn't have to call anyone after because I think the first question I asked him was, did you get cool and goth? Like I was very, very happy to have, you know, uh, Conan, but, you know, knowing that, that we were able to, um, to call on goth as a villain, all of a sudden that book just crystallized in my mind. That was an easy assignment, even though team books are sometimes difficult because we got to use him as the big bad, but also move him off stage when we wanted to sort of, uh, you know, uh, do Conan team up. So I, I, I hope people, you know, Savage Avengers or my volume of Savage Avengers now is, is, is complete, um, you know, and it belongs to Patch Searcher and, and Mike Diodato and all our artists, but everyone was so excited to, to get to swing that Savage Sword and against Cool and Goth, who, you know, the, the one task I had was how do I make him worse <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, the, I, you know, I do what I always do in those moments. I turn to cannibalism. Uh, so he, he, he inherited his spells via cannibalism and, uh, and he, and he won. So I wanted to really honor that 191, 191, that, you know, if we're going to bring a villain like that to the stage, uh, you know, like an Ultron or like any of the real um, classic A-list villains, it was going to have to be a, a villain story. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, thank you both for getting out there and, and filling the airwaves with the love of, uh, uh, of Savage Avengers. There's a funny thing sometimes that people say, oh, this is my guilty pleasure book. And I'm like, that's great. I just care that you're loving it. But there's just as much work goes into that as sort of if I were, you know, doing like, uh, you know, the return of, of Miracle Man, you know, it's got to be entertaining. So let a guilty pleasure pleasure you no matter what. So I'm, I'm glad uh, people seem to have fun. You know, what's been a hoot is um, there are Conan purists that did not um, enjoy uh, the idea, the announcement of, well, I, I don't think Conan should, uh, you know, be with Captain America and Wolverine. And this doesn't make sense. He's a Hyborian age hero. And watching... Um, those folks sort of fall under the spell of Savage Avengers has been a treat. Uh, has been very, very enjoyable on a personal note. Yeah. It's like a revenge beat. Well, Conan remained Conan through your book, and uh, it was it was freaking great. And I, I thank you and the team for making it. And I thank you for giving us a couple minutes to to hear your side yeah. of this love Always. for a it's great a, story. a pleasure, Jasmine and Ryan. So thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. 
big thanks once again to Torin as well as Jerry for coming on the show and just chatting it up with us. It's always yeah. good. Love it's talking fun. cool and goth. Yeah. Oh, it's such a gross, gross character. I love so him gross. so much. Yeah. But we love him. Ish. Ish. Ish, ish, ish. I mean, he's evil. There's only so much you can love him. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk Allison. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. And you know what? He does smell like pudding. He really does. But that's because he likes to recycle pudding cups and make his own clothing. I was going to say because he's super old, but you know, to each their own. I mean, he's going green. That's all. Good for him. He's going green. I like it. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.